Welcome to Therapeutic Perspective Podcast. Our mission is to bring you current mental health information directly relevant to your clinical practice through engaging interviews with varied specialty experts. My name is Shonda Morales. As a licensed clinical social worker in private practice in the Northeast for over two decades, I know how important continuing education is, not only for professional growth and burnout prevention, but for our own personal self-care and sense of empowerment as well. Therapeutic Perspective is a continuing education provider, so stay tuned until the end of the show to learn how you can obtain NBCC continuing education credit hours for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Therapeutic Perspective Podcast. I am here with Nicole Lewis Heber. She is an LCSW, a business therapist and mindset coach who works with entrepreneurs to create and nurture healthy relationships with their businesses. She is certified in Brene Brown's The Daring Way and Dare to Lead Methodologies. And Nicole has been featured in numerous media outlets, including Fast Company and NPR, for her work in breaking the stigma of mental health and business ownership. Nicole is the author of a few books, namely, today we'll be talking mostly about how to love your business, and she is passionate about helping entrepreneurs build emotionally sustainable, financially stable businesses. So welcome, Nicole. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, great. So tell us a little bit about who you are and your why behind your business. So I have a master's degree in social work. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And the majority of my career I spent either as um, in a therapeutic uh, role or uh, as a clinical supervisor. Like I, you know, over those 18 years of working in a clinical capacity, I worked with just about everyone except for children, <laughs> but, you know, military and, you know, behavioral health and substance, um, you know, use disorders, all of that. Um, and at about 18 years in, I started to experience some of my own burnout and and came to this crossroads where I really needed to think about, do I want to stay in this field? Do, you know, is there something else that appeals to me? And I actually began working with a life coach myself at that time, which I had a raised eyebrow about at that <laughs> point. Like this was like, I don't know, seven, eight years ago now. But I knew I needed a new perspective. I wanted to see something a little bit different. Um, and this person had trained with a, a coach that, you know, I really respected and had read all their books. So it changed everything for me when I saw that you could work with people in a different capacity. Um, and I really needed that for myself first. So, you know, I did some of the work myself and then thought, wow, this is really cool. I think I'd like to jump into coaching as well. I feel like I have tons of experience in examining human behavior and, you know, how people show up. Yep. And um, so I ended up taking the first training that came available, which was a money mindset training. And um, I jumped into that and started doing some coaching with clients. And funnily enough, a lot of the clients that were working with me were actually business owners and entrepreneurs. And what I realized is that they were attracted to working with me because I had been a therapist and their business was the first motivator for them to want to work on some personal things. And so their business gave them permission to take a look a little bit deeper. And they were coming to me for money mindset, I'm putting air quotes, money mindset issues. But really what they were struggling with was actually not a mindset issue. It was a trauma response connected to their money. And so when I had that awareness build here through the first two years of my business, it really changed everything for me and has informed a lot of the work that I do now. Mm-hmm. And that's why my clients call me a business therapist because, you know, they said my therapist doesn't get my business. My business coach doesn't get what I need emotionally. And uh, so this is what you are. I feel like you get me and my business on the couch and we work it out. So 
such a it's great, been really fun. Yeah, such a great blend to use your talents and, and expertise and wisdom. And I think, you know, a couple of things it's easy. It's not easy for us, even though we can, you know, of course see other people's patterns and, and all kinds of things. It's so hard. We're, we're too close. And we know this about therapy, but just even, you know, business wise, it's, it's hard to see where our blocks are. And so getting a coach can be so enlightening because we can just stay stuck for way too long on our own and try to, you know, muscle through it. Um, yeah. 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 I, we, I always say we can't read our own label. So, you know, we need someone else to, help us with that. And, you know, that's connected to, you asked me about my why. My why really is that, you know, over time, you know, I, your business may not be successful because you had, maybe your product wasn't well thought out, or maybe your strategy wasn't working, or maybe you needed to come back to the table to figure out a new, um, you know, system around what it is that you're doing. But I said to myself, as I started to recognize the impact of trauma and entrepreneurship was your business is not going to close because you have trauma playing out on it. Mm -hmm. If I can do anything about that, not on my watch. And so that's very much my why is I see people closing their businesses or replicating trauma patterns, in their businesses every day, and it doesn't have to happen. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's my why. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I'm also thinking, like you're saying, you know, about mental health stigma and just this, this idea of coming into coaching through this door of it's for the business, it's for money mindset and air quotes that is it's sort of safer, less stigmatizing, even though we, of course we want to erase that stigma, you know, mm -hmm. um, but until mm -hmm. we do, it's a, it's almost like a, maybe more accessible or easier way for people to do that sometimes too. So, yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. So we humans bring toxic behaviors and patterns we know from our past into our relationships, but we may not recognize how we repeat those patterns within our private practice businesses, speaking to clinicians primarily. So tell us more mm -hmm. about that. Yeah. So one of the things that I began to see in my, um, own business. I always like to lead with myself first because I think it's easier is to say that, um, many of us who were, you know, clinicians working for other people. And I'm going to you know, talk about therapists and clinicians here is that, you know, we kind of, you know, did what other people told us to do. We jumped into private practice. Um, but we really still never saw it as a business in particular. And I think that, um, that disempowers us immediately as therapists when we don't see what we're doing as a business. Um, and that can bring up a lot of um, patterns that we have around uh, relationships that we've had in our past. How some of these toxic behaviors play out in, in the research that I've done, what I've seen and working with clients and also with my own business for sure, is that if we have had experiences in our, you know, previous life as you know, children, maybe young adults, where we had a trauma adaptation. Um, maybe we're a please, people pleaser or um, we're really used to contorting ourselves to make other people happy. Um, that those type of toxic patterns in uh, relationship can come into our business. And so then we find ourselves defaulting into these people pleasing, um, behaviors into, um, being concerned if the people around us like us, whether it's employees or clients, and we tend to defer our power in those relationships, um, in our business. Mm. Yeah. And so I always say, think about, you know, think about your role in the relationships that you've had in your life. You know, the ones that just felt kind of squishy or the ones that felt a little, uh, we said toxic, you know, what was your role in that? Were you the people pleaser? Were you the person that didn't felt boundaries? Were, um, you the person who felt like it was all on your shoulders to make everything okay. Kind of that codependent, mm -hmm. you know? behavior. Mm -hmm. And you absolutely can bring that pattern into your business in the way that you relate to it and the way that you relate to the people within it. Mm. Yeah. So that's, those are common patterns. Would you say, um, that might be some of the, the ones you just spoke about are probably the most common for, um, clinicians because we go into the helping profession or is it really impossible to generalize like that? I think that, I think it's, I think I see a lot in therapists and, and clinicians um, because usually I would say people go into therapy for a reason and it's usually a very personal reason. So we've experienced, you know, things um, in our life that have made us curious about human behavior, wanting to understand it, the desire to be a helper in some way. Um, 
And without being very clear about what that is and doing some work around it, it can impact how we show up, you know, as therapists in our businesses and how we set that up and how we operate within it. So I do think it shows up for a lot of people, but I, I think I see it with therapists a lot um, because I hear from patients or from clients a lot who say, I wish my therapist could see that I see that they are not being kind to themselves with their business, that they are not setting good boundaries. Because when clients go through my work, then they see you know, their therapist and like, oh my gosh, they need to do this because I can see how they are kind of, uh, I'm using the word abusing themselves with their, with their practice. Yeah. So can you talk more about those common patterns? Like what specifically that might look like, how that plays mm -hmm. out? Yep. Yeah. So, um, in some of the, the work I've been doing, there's some categories in which it tends to show up. And, um, the first one is setting boundaries, um, that, you know, having poor boundaries with yourself, with your time, with your calendar, um, is a big one. Um, taking that one more client, um, allowing that client to take up space that you put on the calendar for yourself. Um, allowing, you know, if you have any employees to direct, um, you know, your own calendar, there's a lot of deference of power in that boundary dynamic. So I see it showing up with boundaries. Um, I see it showing, showing up with trust, um, the ability to trust ourselves to make decisions within our own business, the ability to, um, if we have a partner or other people in our group, um, the ability to have trusting conversations with them, that they will do the thing that they said they're going to do without micromanaging it and kind of uh -huh. jumping back in. I'm the only one who um, can do it sort of thing. Is that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm the only one who can. Um, and that may be true at this moment, but not forever. Right. Um, so trust in the relationships and even trust with our clients to know that, you know, they're here for a reason. Um, they're in, in the relationship with us in the room, you know, in, the, in this practice together and that we can trust them when they leave the door to begin to think and integrate some of this work that we don't have to, you know, hand hold a lot. I think mm -hmm. that sovereignty with our clients gets overlooked a lot. Um, so let's say trust boundaries, um, visibility is another one that I see that is really impacted by this, the ability to show up, to share what you do with the world. And I see this a little bit more with people who have practices that are also kind of straddling that, you know, I'm going to say side hustle and I don't really mean it that way, but there are therapists who also does hypnotherapy or there are therapists who also does some coaching. Like you're, you're, you have a dual practice. And so the visibility to show up, to share what you do, to speak in authority on it, you know, to write that article, to present at that conference, that um, it can also impact visibility in many ways as well. And what's underneath that visibility? Is it um, just purely being uncomfortable being seen or is it self-confidence, uh, self-doubt or all of the above or more? I think it's a little bit. All of, I think that there's uh, there's again, there's that stigma in the therapy world that you're supposed to be humble and quiet and, you know, that don't draw attention to yourself. So I think there's some kind of expectation in our field in particular. Um, but what I've seen in working with clients just across the board is that if anyone has had any experiences in their life where they felt unsafe or unseen, um, that they're literally re-experiencing that moment of, I don't feel safe if I'm seen. And so standing out here to say what I do to, you know, share my experiences, to stand in my authority feels unsafe to me. And their nervous system is literally saying, yes, this is unsafe for you to do this. So it's not just a thought process. It's an experience. So I think it's a little bit both. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. For us. Yeah. Okay. And so you talk about uh, having a mutually loving relationship with our businesses. So tell us more about that and what that means. Yeah. So I always say that you are not your business. It is something outside of you that you are relating to. It is something that you're creating and that we need to set an intention around that relationship. So, um, well, I'll tell a little story here. When I was two years into my business ish, ish um, what I recognized, because I had not been a business owner before, I had worked for other people. I had a side practice, you know, as a, as a, like a private practice, but it was very much referral based. You know, I didn't have to do much around it. You know, it was pretty much people sent me people. I saw them, I did my books and that was it. It was really not, I didn't see it that way. 
So about two years into my business, as it is now, um, I started to wake up in the morning and not want to do the thing. Um, on Sunday night, I was already dreading the week. Um, I was feeling really that no matter what the evidence was, that the money I was bringing in was good, that my clients were doing well, um, there was none of the evidence that my business was running well was landing with me. Mm -hmm. It was not resonating with me at all. I was feeling very much like I was failing despite the evidence to the contrary. And what I recognized one morning is that, um, and I talk about this in my book, that I realized that... I didn't feel like I was thriving and successful in my business because I had set up a relationship with my business that was demanding and demeaning and authoritative. Mm -hmm. And so I was sitting with that that morning thinking, okay, so if I've set up this relationship with my business to feel very abusive, I mean, I felt abused by my business, oh. right? I've set up this dynamic where I have recreated this toxic pattern. I've recreated this relationship that I had with a caregiver of my own, where I felt like I could not do anything right. It didn't matter if there was evidence that I was doing the thing. It didn't matter. Like the currency from this person was to see me as not doing well, you know, as not successful. Can I interrupt you and for it, a minute? Uh, yeah. So, uh, and maybe you're going to say this, but what specifically did that look like? So you're, you know, that's how you're feeling. You're waking up feeling this way and were there, so were there actions or patterns or that you were enacting in your business that mimicked that, that, or was it more this felt sense? It was a little bit of both. And so that, um, I felt that way. There was no evidence that I was failing. Like right. my, my money and clients, they were all doing fine, but I had a, I had a really difficult time for asking for help. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a very difficult time hiring on, um, someone to support me in my business because I felt like it's not working anyway. I'm not successful. I'm not going to be around. What's the point in hiring somebody okay. or, you know, everything's really, you know, not great on the back end here because my systems aren't as they should be. Mm. Um, so I'm embarrassed for someone to look at it, which really wasn't that bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, I was also, I was also allowing my clients to have more say over my schedule than myself. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So all of yeah. these things and it just sort of was hanging there feeling heavy, even though really was, it was going well. Yeah, it was going well. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't feel like it was, and I felt led by it. I felt like it was demanding. Um, and so I recognized that, okay, so if I'm feeling crappy here in my business, I'm a business of one, you know, it's, I'm the one who set it up to be this way. So why would I set it up to be this way? And I recognized that I had defaulted because this was a new thing for me. You know, when we start a business or make a change, we kind of go into crisis mode a bit. Mm. Um, I wasn't new to working with human beings. This was not a new thing for me, but because it was new to owning a business and being self-directed and the kind of only person in it, I had defaulted into this pattern of, create relating to my business in a way that I would, could not be successful, which was a replication of a relationship pattern I had with my mom. Mm. So for all intents and purposes, my business was my mom. <laughs> yeah. 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 And how, I was relating to it as such. Yeah. I mean, on how brilliant to see that and, and be able to, to pause sort of when you're in that crisis mode or in that place where it's feeling really awful and see that there is, it could be different because I think that's what you're talking about initially is a lot of people just say, Oh, well, clearly I, I'm not cut out for this and I'll just go get that job at the agency or the organization again, because that's it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and you're here to say, hold on, <laughs> check some things first. Yeah. So then, yeah, absolutely. so then how do we create more of a loving, uh, mutually loving relationship? You recognize, oof, this is not, you know, I might love my business or I might not love my business. And, but is it loving me? You talk about that in the book. Yeah. I mean, I realized that I loved my business, but I did not feel like it loved me in return. Mm -hmm. I felt like it was demanding. I felt like it was not nurturing. Um, I had no way of seeing my way forward. Um, but when I was able to recognize, first of all, this is something outside of me that I'm relating to. And I have defaulted into an old pattern as opposed to setting an intention to create the relationship. 
and I saw what it was and I recognized that, well, you know, if I set it up to be this way, then I can fix it. Um, yeah, I can take some steps in order to change the dynamic here because I want my business to continue to be successful. I want to feel good in my business. No one ever asks you that when you start a business. Um, they ask you for a marketing plan, a sales plan, you know, how are you going to get clients in the door? You know, are you going to be a group practice or a practice of one? No one asks you, how do you want to feel in your business? You know, what steps do you need to take in order to feel supported and secure in your business? You know, no one asks you that, you know, you just default into all the mechanisms as opposed to your experience as a human being in this relationship with your business. Yeah. I mean, not only is nobody asking, I mean, it's almost like the, our culture too, is like grind, 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 hustle, hustle. And if you're not, if it's not painful, then you're probably not doing it right. So, I mean, it's sort of like, this is how it's supposed to feel, honey. Like that's, you know, the message we're given and you're here mm -hmm. to say, uh, uh, we can do it a different way. So can you, and we'll come back to, I mean, maybe it's all tied together. What does, what might that look like for someone to, what, what, what might someone's business look like who is like, wow, this is, it feels great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what it looks like is once you have determined that, you know, okay, I was told a lie that we drop all of who we are. We start a business. We don't bring our emotions into it. Um, that it has to be all about hustle and that we are supposed to take a back seat and that, you know, the uh, productivity at all costs, like you're only valuable with your most last productive moment. When you start to look at that and start to kind of ask yourself, you know, is this really true for me? Is this really what I want? Um, what is available is that people will start to get to know themselves and recognize the relationship that they created by default and begin to change it. Um, mm. and I had a client who, um, had created a really hard relationship with her business because she was defaulting into kind of replicating her father's role in a power. Like he was a very powerful person, very controlling, very, um, strong personality, very critical. And so to be the power person in her business, she kind of defaulted into that pattern to say, I have to control my employees. I have to you know, grind this out. And what she recognized in going through this process and kind of beginning to look at this in a different way was that, first of all, she didn't enjoy managing people, you know, so there was no point in her continuing to do that. So she allowed herself to have that taken off her plate mm -hmm. without shame. Yeah. Right. It's not for everybody. Right. Um, she was able to then see, okay, so I actually can step into authority and into a leadership role in my business in a way that's more aligned with who I am mm -hmm. as a human being and my values, as opposed to what it looked like for my dad, because I'm no longer trying to make him proud of me through my business, which is, was an underlying agenda of hers that she didn't recognize. Yeah. And so when she was able to let that go, you know, she had someone else to step in and manage her employees. They're happy. She's happy. Yeah. She's able to do what she loves to do in her business, um, which gives her energy as opposed to being depleted all the time. She was able to pull back some of the hours that she worked in her business every week because she was no longer doing any of the things that didn't work for her that were not in her skill set or just sitting in front of the computer, staring at it, thinking I should be doing something because mm -hmm. she gave herself permission uh, to not connect her value to hustle. Yeah. Um, so I think that when you can go through this process, you have this business that wants to support you here next to you to help you make decisions, to help you feel supported so that you don't feel so alone and you have a direction in making decisions in your business every day. Yep. Yeah. Nice. And so I guess what I'm hearing is part what you're saying is part of the awareness by default, you automatically bring in some of the more loving behaviors. And then you have a lot of very concrete um, practices and exercises in your book that mm -hmm. are helpful to kind of help us start with a healthier foundation or loving foundation with our business. And mm -hmm. one thing I have to say, and I told you this when we had a conversation before is on your website and I forget exactly how it says, but it's something about you don't have to be woo to be, mm -hmm. you know, to 
love something. And, and I was just like, oh, I love that. And because some of the practices I would say in your book, you know, you have to just go with an open mind because it felt a little woo. One of the, and we'll talk about this is, is sort of, um, to personify your business and you, you walk through that practice and I did it. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to suspend, you know, whatever judgment here. And I was like, Ooh, yeah. And I came up with, um, personifying what represented my business. Maybe talk more about that. And I'm jumping a little bit, but talk more about that piece and exercise. Yeah. So, you know, Brene Brown talks about our, our brains being wired for story, right? And in an absence of data, it's going to put, <laughs> it's going to start to fill it in and say, okay, who are the good guys? Who's, who are the bad guys? Who are the players and the roles um, in the story? And we are, um, it's easier for us to do this work sometimes when we are relating and personifying, you know, things like people sometimes will have you personify your anxiety or, you know, um, so it's, there's actually some method to that, yeah. uh, but it does seem a little fantastical and woo to tell you, uh, to personify your business. <laughs> um, but you know, when you sit down and you think about, um, well, how do I want to feel in my business? You know, what are the things that are important to me? How do I want to be supported? You know, what is the vision I have for it? And you start to break down some of those questions. And first, the, qu the first question that always is, is if you're not feeling great about the relationship you have, where have you felt this way before, right? Let's first of all, figure out who your business is now, which was my mom, my client's dad, somebody else that was a mean teacher they had or whatever, or a boss that wasn't supportive. Mm -hmm. So we kind of figured that out. But then how do you want to feel and how do you want to relate? And so he asked these questions of how do you want to be supported? What matters to you? What communication style works? And go through this, this list of starting to define if your business was an entity outside of yourself, how do you want to be in relationship with it? How do you want to feel what matters to you? And then when you go through that exercise, you start to think about, okay, so what would that look like? Is it a person that I've met before that really empowered me, made me feel empowered and excited? Is it a tree, which I've had clients has been a tree. Mine ended up being, you know, I thought about what do I want? I wanted to feel powerful. I wanted to feel supported. My business, I wanted to have a little bit of whimsy in it because it is such a serious topic, what I talk about. And I wanted um, an entity that was a little bit bigger than life because I needed a little bit of support. And funnily enough, what came for, forward for me was the ghost of Christmas present from the Muppet movie. I mean, who's looking for that? <laughs> right, right. To be the entity of your business, exactly. right? But it works because anytime I'm feeling like I'm giving away my power, I'm betraying my values, I am putting someone else first over my own well-being, I can look at the picture of that Muppet on my wall and it is going to remind me like, this is not what we signed up for. This is not what I signed up for. It was for us to have you know, abundance and support and in creativity. Is that what you're saying yes to right now, Nicole? <laughs> and then I can say no. <laughs> so it helps to get it outside of you and have something you create and curate a relationship with in a new way. Um, yeah. So it, if you can suspend belief, this belief a little bit, yeah. it does work. Totally. And I, I will share that when I went through your book, which is wonderful, I highly recommend it is I came up with a hiking trail, which, you know, sort of in retrospect is not shocking to me because that's, I know it's something I love to do, but it, for me, it was about this sense of adventure exploration. It's also very grounding and healing for me. And, um, and it, it spurs my creativity. So it's all of these things because, because I know in my business, I can get kind of shiny object syndrome or I, you know, I get, I like want to do all the things and I need to kind of ooh, ground myself, come back, take a moment. And, uh, mm -hmm. and then it also, you know, while staying true to myself with that creativity. So it was really mm -hmm. get, it, 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 get back on the path. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it just really resonates. And it's such a helpful framework to, like you said, you know, to kind of keep in mind and check in with ourselves. So it's not just, I mean, we, you know, we do talk about values a lot in business, which is super important and also, but it's just another way to personify those values that we can check in with quickly. Yeah, it absolutely is. And one of the exercises also having you write a love letter to your business and yeah. have it write one back to you. Um, and I think that's where we kind of solidify that relationship of kind of like the promises that we make to each other. Like, okay, so 
the hiking trail is beautiful, but there's also these beautiful things around it. So I will be here to help you get back on the path. I will mm -hmm. be here to remind you that sometimes the trail is level. Sometimes we're going uphill. Sometimes we're going downhill. Sometimes we're at the peak of the valley. You know, that having that reminder to relate and connect with, I think is, so it's a really beautiful and therapeutic thing to have as part of your toolkit. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. So much of this. And I think, you know, you alluded to this or maybe said it in the beginning of just so many of us don't even think of ourselves as running a business, especially if we're in a solo practice. And it's just mm -hmm. empowering to know that and recognize that and then do this kind of work around it. Um, so, you know, similarly, why is it important we get clear on our why for starting our business and going into the helping field in the field in the first place? I think there's a couple of reasons. Um, the first is that usually we, I'm making a complete projection here. So, you know, it's totally fine if anyone wants to say, you know, something different. Um, but what I've experienced in my 18 years of working in the therapy field is that people are motivated to go into helping professions because they had an experience themselves where they needed support mm. or they needed to understand something or they needed to say, you know, I'm going to do this differently. I'll show you all that you can do this differently. And that that ends up being, um, a why for us. And we don't always recognize or realize in the moment that we've made some vow in that moment of like, I'll show you or, you know, you know, no one should have to feel this way in their school's guidance counselor office. Mm -hmm. You know, it'd be great if you know kids had a voice, you know, whatever it is that we experience. And it can be a real motivator to going into a helping profession. It can be a motivator to starting a business. You know, um, I think so many of the entrepreneurs in the world those that I work in, there is a moment, a central moment when they were younger where something clicked for them and they decided unconsciously at that moment that I will always be the one in charge. I will always be the one who has control. It'll always come down to what I can do to make myself feel better, feel safer, have the money, all the things. And I think it's very similar to people who go into the helping profession. And so when we understand what our deeper why is, then we can help it lead us as opposed to be an unconscious thing that we're kind of working out and we never really get the relief that we're looking for. Mm. So if your why for like, for example, my why, one of my whys from younger me is I grew up with a learning disability. No one or difference. No one knew how to help me going to school every day was traumatizing. <laughs> um, you know, I had so many examples growing up where I felt disempowered and that no one was listening. No one could help me, you know? Um, and so part of my deeper why was I feel really, I feel stupid. I feel dumb. I don't feel like I measure up. And so part of my why going into social work and going into therapy was mm -hmm. I really desperately wanted to help people because I had not been helped yeah. and I really desperately wanted to see and understand why people would disempower, why people would mm -hmm. ignore and not help me mm -hmm. uh, or the people around me that I saw need, that needed help. Yeah. And so my deeper why was, I don't ever want to feel that way again. Yeah. I want to understand this. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you know, here's the, Here's the kicker. I felt like that a lot <laughs> in this field because I didn't recognize that I was working something out yes. through my career, mm -hmm. you know? And so, because I wasn't aware that I wanted to feel safe, I wanted to understand. I didn't want to seem dumb, feel dumb anymore. No matter what I did, getting a master's degree, any of those things, I never felt smart, right? It didn't fix the thing. So I think it's important for us to understand what our why is so that we can give ourselves what we were looking for mm -hmm. as opposed to constantly striving but never arriving yeah. in that uh, stealthy intention underneath our decisions. Yeah. So, so, so rather than we're reacting all the time, we're sort of consciously going along for the ride to help stay in touch and figure it out. Mm -hmm. Okay. So are there some questions that we can ask ourselves to dive a little bit more deeply into what our why is? Because we might think, well, I like talking to people. I like helping people. I mean, mm -hmm. and that's a why, but there's what I'm hearing you say is there's likely something <laughs> underneath that. Mm -hmm. um, some of the questions that I ask people. And I do have an ebook uh, called the uh, three wives where uh, I kind of go into this a little bit deeper. Um, is I, I asked them to think about how they want their clients to feel about them. You know, and again, these are people who are working with 
either their therapists or their coaches and they're working with clients specifically is think about how you want your clients to feel because usually we're kind of wanting other people, we're wanting to give to other people something that we didn't have. Right. Mm So think about how you want your clients to feel. How do you want them to see you? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of experience are you hoping to help them heal from? Mm. So we're starting with them first. And when in your life did you then feel that way? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. When did you decide that you would be the person to help others? Mm -hmm. Can you connect to an experience? Um, Is there a moment? Is there a younger version of you that's still really connected to that experience? It's kind of whispering in your ear now about it. Yeah. did you make any kind of unconscious vow in that moment that is connected to, well, why do you want to help people? That's why I always ask people, they say, well, just because I want to. Well, why? Yeah. Yeah. It makes me feel better. Well, when did you not feel good? You know, it's yeah. like, cause to keep asking that. Why? Yeah. Um, were you rebelling against something in that moment to say, I'm never going to do that or I'll show you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, did you go into the helping profession to prove something or to right some wrong? Yeah for you. And so those are some of the questions I get started with. Yeah. And we'll put that, your ebook in the show notes too. That's Mm -hmm. great. So there are those questions and more probably in that to help us explore further. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we're touching on this. So why any more reasons as to why it's important that we see ourselves as the boss of our businesses, even if we're in solo practice, even if, even if we're, you know, within an organization, let's say, but we Mm -hmm. are the boss of our, our, client load. I think it's important because it's true. (laughs) It's it's a truth. It's a role that you have. It's a title that you have. It is a position that you have, whether you claim it or not. Um, It's still a truth. And so why not claim it and define it for yourself Mm -hmm. as opposed to it being defined by others? Mm -hmm. Because people will rise to the boundaries that you set. Right. And if you don't have them, It's just, you know, it's like a wave washing over. And so even just from that very standpoint to say, I am the boss of this business. I am the, you know, boss of my time. You know, Mm -hmm. my time has to report to me. My money has to report to me. Um, You know, this building that I'm renting space out of has to report to me. Like I'm the one who's making these intentional decisions about these things that are related to my business. Because I am the boss here. Um, And I would say you're kind of also your your most important employee, right? You're the boss and your most important employee at the same time. And so you need to treat yourself in a way that you would want to be treated by someone else. And, you know, I... Whenever I give a talk about how to love your business, you know, inevitably someone will say, oh, my God, you know, if I had a boss that treated me like I treat myself, right, right. <laughs> I would quit. Yeah. I report them to OSHA because I'm working I'm working from a broken chair at a kitchen table, afraid to take up any space, you know. Um, so I think that it's important to see that you're kind of both you're the boss, but also your most important employee. And so you need to set the intention, create the scaffolding around it so that you're not led by external forces. Yeah. And I, and I guess I'm hearing in that too, it, taking back our power as the business owner, you know, and it can be benevolent power because we may have mm-hmm. power, maybe a, a dirty word in our history or, you know, our backgrounds. So it's kind of like, yeah. And again, those of us in the helping professionals typically don't see that we want power. (laughs) It doesn't tend to go together, but you know, but it can be this beautiful way to have power and and model that for clients and everybody else. It's so true. You know, in the the training I've done with Brene Brown, you know, it's always, it's about daring leadership and people will come in and they're expecting to learn how to run a team meeting or, you know, expecting to learn how to have hard conversations, like all these things that they think, you know, equates being a boss or a manager or being a leader. And we tell them immediately, like, this has nothing to do with anyone else. This is about you learning to self lead, Mm -hmm. because if you can't lead yourself, you are not leading others. And so self leadership is a huge piece of being a, you know, a, 
the leader of your business, even if it's just you, because I guarantee you someone else will lead your business if you don't. And it'll be your clients. It'll be the insurance companies. It'll be somebody else. Someone's going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And to me, what popped up for me is Ted Lasso, which I'm, you know, I don't know if you've seen Ted Lasso. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm so bummed. I'm just, I'm totally behind here. So I'm just getting to it, but he, he is the, I mean, I think he's taken Brene's daring to leave. <laughs> that would be my, I don't know. I'm just kidding. But, but I mean, he, I'm sure he has, they love each other. <laughs> so yeah, I, that's what came to mind, which is, you know, so lovely. Okay. <laughs> um, you write that creation of our business first comes from a deep why, which we've been talking about and then gets buried by the how. And that really resonated with me. We can get lost in the weeds. And you even talked about, especially when we're starting a business, it's like, you know, we are, it's scary. It's terrifying. Uh, So how do we prevent getting buried in the how? So I I think one of the most important things to do is to keep asking ourselves that question. Like, does this serve my why? Mm -hmm. Because it is so easy to get stuck, as you mentioned, shiny object syndrome to, I need this one more thing. And, um, or now I need to be a speaker or now I need to write a book or now I need to have a podcast, you know? And so we get really caught up in the day to day mechanism of our business and what other people are telling us it needs to look like. Um, and we lose the why behind any of it because it is so much easier to connect with my calendar for the day or, you know, the things I need to do. And we forget why we're doing them Mm -hmm. in the first place. Um, and you know, I worked with a group of speakers and which is where some of this stuff came from is to say, okay, so speaking was the methodology for them to get their passion out into the world, their why. But what they were getting stuck in is that they got stuck in the minutia of, you know, having the, you know, being a speaker on different types of stages and, you know, having the spear one sheet and all of that. And they completely have forgotten why they wanted to speak in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's because they had this passionate topic, this thing they wanted to tell people with this thing they wanted to share with the world. It wasn't about being a speaker. It was about their core message and their passion for their work, but they got completely stuck in the daily. Why I call it of what it means to be a speaker as opposed to what it means to share your story. Um, and it's really easy for us to find one more thing that we think we need to do, not delegate, not, um, you take on tasks that are really not necessary Mm -hmm. because someone told us we should do it, you know? Yeah. And so do you recommend, I mean, are we talking about a daily check-in, a weekly, a quarterly check-in with ourselves to keep that why front and center? Yeah. So I like to do quarterly myself. Um, initially I did it much more often. I would do what I called an energy audit at the end of the week. Mm -hmm. And I would look at, okay, so of all the people I met with, of all the things that I did, which were, which were the things that depleted me yep. and which ones were the things that gave me energy. Right. And so I did this energy audit a lot, you know, early on and I started to figure out, okay, so that was just nonsense. I didn't need to do that. So we're not going to put that on the, <laughs> the next week. And now it's something I do more quarterly to take a look at. Okay. So my calendar was full of all of these meetings, what did they serve? And turns out most of those meetings were people wanting to pick my brain as opposed to providing, Mm -hmm. you know, any kind of real energy or support. It was all like very, it was very take oriented as opposed to a collaboration. So I think that doing an audit of your time, your calendar, your money, um, you know, the, the commitments that you're making, um, even the, when people are asking you for something, they want you to volunteer your time, donate, you know, doing an audit of those things to figure out, are these really serving my why or are they just busy work at this point? Exactly. It's, it's important. Yeah. Yeah. And I can speak personally talking about that, you know, getting off track, writing two books and, you know, having these launches, it's sort of like, of course, the, the kernel of wanting to start writing a book was very much, I was very much in touch with my whys at the time. And then it's like, it becomes numbers and podcasts and interviews. And, and yeah, and you're just like, before you know it, what, wait, where am I? And I, you know, that's why I, that really resonated with me too. And I think that can happen, you know, just like, how many people do I have scheduled on the calendar? You know, I might, all those kinds of things. So I have uh, referrals coming in all, you know, if you're doing, if that's your primary income. So yeah, 
trait. But okay. Yeah. And so um, in other episodes of, of the podcast, we've talked about the importance of identifying our values, whether personal and in our business. So um, what questions can we ask ourselves to help us identify our top three business values? Because you talk about that in the book too. Yeah. So <clears throat> I'm just going to take a look at my notes here. <laughs> All right. Sorry for the pause. No I want to make sure I'm giving you. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Um, oops. Where did you go? Okay. <laughs> so some of the questions that we can ask um, about our values are, um, and you know, Brene takes people through this process when she's you know, teaching people about dare to lead so that we do as well is that, you know, first of all, we want to know what our values are, um, in, um, our lives in a way that is, she calls it operationalizing it. Like they're an action. They're not just professed. Mm -hmm. Um, and so one of the things that I think is super helpful is to look at what are the moments in my life where I felt confident or I felt really passionate about something, or I felt like I was aligned, you know, what was happening in that moment. And then we have this list of all these values that you can take a look at to see, you know, what was the emotion or the experience you were having in that moment to help you kind of figure out what was of value to you in that moment, what mattered to you in that moment. Okay. And then we look around at the people around us, you know, teachers, you know, family, um, whomever, we kind of look at that external lens and see, okay, so who is someone that I have a lot of respect for? And I just really, they have caught my attention. Um, what is it that I would say it is that they are doing representing that I find interesting. Can I connect uh, to some kind of value? Mm -hmm. Like what is it that we're, we're connecting with here? Um, thinking about the values that you grew up with and the systems around you, do they resonate with you or are they someone else's view of what you should value? So we have to kind of break free um, from other people's projected values as opposed to, is this really mine? You know, like, I don't, I don't even know if this is really mine. And so I, you know, have people look in day-to-day -day activities. Where is it that you put a lot of your time? Um, <clears throat> what are the causes that mean something to you? And so you start to kind of pick apart and look at these patterns and look at this, you know, kind of patchwork view around you of what are the threads between these people, these behaviors, these moments that you've had, what are the threads between them? And could you connect them to one of these values on this big page of values that we have? Yeah. <clears throat> And it takes time for people to do that. They'll usually start out with eight, you know, right? At least like there's eight <laughs> values at least, you know, and they're like, I can never, never, never get down to three, but we just keep asking like, okay, so what do those values have in common? What do those values have in common? And eventually, hopefully people can get it down to three because three is a great number of um, core values that inform your behaviors and the things that matter to you in your life and your business so that they can support you and direct you. Um, so the values clarification exercise that we do in dare to lead always gets the eye roll. It always gets the huff, right? We've done this before. Um, but our question always is then is, well, can you tell us what your values are immediately? And they're like, no. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> so they don't matter to you then. <laughs> Uh, so we come again, let's do it again. <laughs> let's find values that actually matter to you that actually are anchors to you making decisions in your life as a clinician, as a business owner, as a leader, uh, because you're going to need them. You're going to need them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that they, like you've said before, they can change. I mean, our mm -hmm. seasons of life bring up different values that are important to us. And so, and, and also I think the important thing that when it's so hard to narrow it down is that we, um, they're somewhat personal, right? I mean, in terms of like what my definition of, you know, I can't, I, when I went through your book again, I, and I, and I found, I changed my values. I had different ones, you know, maybe a year or two ago that I kind of stayed with, but I came up with ambition, integrity, and balance. And for me, you know, it's all kinds of good stuff goes into those categories that I feel like, okay, there, you know, there's learning, there's growth, there's nature, there's, you know, giving back, but it all fits in there for me. And that's all that matters is it makes sense to me. And it, 
grounds me, right? You know, so that it's, it's okay. It's up for interpretation, really. Yeah. And as you said, it absolutely grounds you. And one of the concessions I'll give people when I, when we kind of break them down into three, I'm like, listen, there's underpinnings underneath one of these these categories. So we'll say, you know, freedom underpinned by these other values that you really don't want to let go of, you know, that, um, it's okay. But having those three helps remind you it's something to run decisions through, you know, in your business and life. And I don't know about you, but at the beginning of lockdown, I had to lean on my values heavy when I was making decisions about what to do. And, and they have changed and morphed over the past two years. So it's not a values one and done. You have to kind of go back to the drawing board and moments of change to see have my values changed based upon my current experiences and what matters to me now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's talk about mission and vision statements. And again, this could potentially bring eye rolls maybe, but it will always. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We expect it. So, you know, just to really clarify, sometimes they get mixed up. What are the, what are the difference, you know, and, uh, and how do we kind of get clear on those? Mm-hmm. So um, I see the vision statement and there's so many different definitions of this. And I think it's one of the reasons why people have a big eye rolls because every time they start a new company or go somewhere new and there's always the vision statement on the wall that no one pays attention to anymore. Um, but for me, the vision statement really is about thinking about the bigger picture. You know, it's kind of like this. I say this dreamy vision that you have of your work in the world, your business, your message, whatever that is. Um, it is a projection out several years. It is, um, it's really connected to that deeper why, you know, that you have. Um, and so the vision really is like, this is where we're wanting to go. This is the goal that we have for ourselves. Um, We've identified our values, like me and my business, we've identified our values. We've made vows to each other. We're in this relationship now. So what is the vision for this relationship that we have? Um, And so it's more of a a broader picture of where you're wanting to go, what matters to you, what is connected to your why, um, connected to your values. And um, it's a little bit more um, a bigger bigger, broader lens. Mm -hmm. And then a mission statement. Yeah. So the mission statement is declaring what your purpose is. It's a little bit more tangible. Like this is my purpose, my organization, my business, my mission. Um, Our purpose is to do this, how we are going to achieve the vision that we put forward. Um, It can include a general description of what your organization does, its function or your function as a human, you know, in your business. Um, It might even have objectives so it can kind of break things down a little bit more, but it should detail how you and your business will make the big dream of that vision happen. And you can think of it kind of as the recipe for your business or the unique instructions for how you're going to accomplish that vision that you have for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And those exercises are also in your book. So yeah, Mm -hmm. kind of work through that. Great. So you talk about in the book too, clinicians, you know, taking up space and that again, we're going to generalize, but that often we don't like, we're not being seen, you know, the difficulty being seen, taking up enough space. So what are some common ways that clinicians don't take up enough space and how can we work on that? I think, I think some of the ways that clinicians don't take up space is, um, literally not having a space. (laughs) Um, literally, um, I think that having an office space, whether you're doing remote, um, telework or whether you're, you know, in person, having a defined space where you work without having to move around a lot can be really helpful. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, we're kind of, we default into, yeah, it, it, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter where I'm at as long as it's just me and the client. And that's not necessarily true. Your space informs your energy. Mm-hmm. Um, it matters. And so not taking up literal space is one of those um, that I see often. But also, again, we talked about those boundaries, not taking up space to set a boundary with your calendar, with your pricing, um, with the people around you because we, you know, are trying to people please or, you know, um, 
be go along to get along and that will not support you long term. It is a recipe for for burnout. Mm-hmm. Um you know, falling for that lie that a service provider has to take a vow of poverty. Yeah. You know, to, you can be a, if to be a healer, you can't charge money. To be a social worker, you have to be broke. To you know, to be of service to other human beings. Um, so talk that about you, that one. That is such a common one. You know, what do you? How do we work with that? So I think that it's just indoctrination. Really, it's starting to pull back the layers. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a system that told me that if you were of service to other people, that that should be enough, that I call it psychic income should be enough <laughs> that you won't be valued financially, but you know, people will think well of you. And if you have self-esteem issues, you wouldn't want to be thought well of, so why not? Um, so I think there's some indoctrination into the systems of service-based individuals that we're doing it because we want to be benevolent because there's we want to help mankind, but money doesn't, you don't get get paid for it. But then also, you know, I don't, you know, in my education and my master's degree and, you know, all my social work classes, we were told how much we could make. Like we weren't told, Hey, there's opportunity here. I was literally told to the penny how much I could expect to make. I never negotiated a salary when I went into any of the positions I was in because I was told that they'll tell me what else I can make. So again, it's a very different power dynamic of we will hire you and we will pay you this as opposed to I'm bringing my skills and talents and education and this is what I want to get paid. Um, So I think there's just so many layers systemically Mm. around that. And then this notion that you're not, if you're a healer who wants to get paid, then you're, you know, you're not being humble, greedy, right? Um, That that real, that you don't care that that person then becomes a token or a transaction to you. And it's no longer a divine connection. It's no longer a healing relationship that there's some disruption in the force between you and this client (laughs) because you charge for it. So it's heavy. It's heavy. And And so I think that's, we absolutely can be both dichotomy Mm -hmm. here, which I think we're definitely led to believe in, which goes along with you. You um, talk about, not using the adage charge what you're worth. So, mm-hmm. you know, what do you recommend instead? Oh, I hate that so much. Um, <laughs> if, if you're some, <laughs> so what does that even mean? Like, and if, and if you're someone who's working with, you know, self-esteem, worth and trauma, like I do with my clients around their business and their money, you know, how do you even d- define that for someone? Um, so I think it's not a useful thing to, to say. So what I like to tell people is charge for charge in a way that supports the vision that you have for your business. Not everybody wants to have multiple six figure businesses. Not everybody even wants to have one six figure business. There are other things that they value more. Um, and so you have to figure out what it is that you want and then charge based upon that, not what someone else is telling you that you should mm. you know, charge for. Yeah. Um, and if you charge a little less than someone else for a reason that makes sense to you, that doesn't mean you don't value yourself and you're not charging what you're worth, yeah. right? It's, it's letting yourself define what that is for you and let the pricing, the structure, the system set up to support the vision that you have for your business, mm-hmm. yeah. period. Your number, not someone else's number, yeah. your number. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think also thinking about the transformation that we're bringing for people is that, you know, that's we, of course, we bring our education, our expertise and our, you know, all of that experience to the table. But it's this, you know how, how do you value transformation? It's that's, you know, we could say priceless. I mean, you know, so it's, so it's, that's again, coming back to, um, it doesn't have to be, uh, just pennies that we're talking about. No, no, not at all. (laughs) Okay. How about, um, you know, along these lines, um, our inner critics around business. You know, how do we work with that? I'm guessing some of this personification or, you know, awareness is the key here. 
Yeah. I mean, I think one of the most important things I've learned over my time in my own business is that our inner critic is there for a reason. And if you're in the coaching industry or in the wellness and, you know, people are telling you to shut it up, kill it, slay it, do all the things. (laughs) Um, and I'm like, no, (laughs) your inner critic is literally there for a biological determination reason. You know, our, our nervous system is set up to determine safe, unsafe. And oftentimes I can get connected to a voice that is like, you can't do that thing because it feels unsafe. Don't do that. So I think we lose a rich amount of information about ourselves when we think we have to shut our critic down. I think we need to partner with it because what I believe to be true is that typically that critic's voice has come up because there's a younger version of you that feels unsafe in whatever that situation is that you're in, whether it's a decision you're making in your business, a client that you're working with, a new goal that you have. There's a younger version of you that never asked to be a therapist, that never asked to be a business owner, never asked to be an entrepreneur that is activated because of that feeling of lack of safety. And so that critic pops up in protection mode. So I think when we can say, I hear you, what do you need? What's going on? And we can get some of that information. Then we can make decisions in our business and our life, our money, all these places that feels much more integrity and aligned as opposed to spending all of our mental energy fighting that critic and shaming ourselves because we have it in the first place because we are literally supposed to have it. That's right. Yeah. Befriending it, right? Changing our relationship to it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, what is an emotional sustainability plan? And PS, I have to say, like when I was reading the book, you talk about this and I love when you say, guess what? Like you'll talk to people about, you know, what, what would be part of your vision or your, you know, that you get to do and, and you say, guess what? You get to have that, you know? And it's like, <laughs> that was, that was, you know, revelatory for me because it's sort of like, oh yeah, you do. We can create, again, this is that empowerment piece of we get to create how we want our business to look. So talk about, uh, the emotional sustainability plan. Yeah. So I, I would you know, be working with clients and they would say, I just wish my clients would blah, blah, blah. I just wish my employees would blah, blah, blah. I just wish that when they emailed me, they would structure it this way. And I'm like, you get to have that. You get to ask for that. Um, so the emotional sustainability plan, you know, kind of just coined that is similar to a business plan, a marketing plan. But it's a plan that you put in place to help you support yourself and your business emotionally. Um, it's to identify the places that you tend to get activated, maybe, or triggered in your business so that you can make space for that and plan for it. Um, and it's recognizing what you need for your own capacity to stay safe and sane in your business. And so I kind of give this example of either like the middle of a flower, or, you know, kind of like a spoke of a wheel um, that, you know, um, Imagine that you're looking at a circle, right? And maybe, you know, draw one so that you can see it really clearly in front of you. It's one of the exercises I've taken people through. Um, imagine the middle of the sunflower or the hub of a bicycle wheel and each pedal or spoke coming off that circle is a component of your emotional sustainability plan. Um, releasing old relationship patterns within your business, defining and partnering what the new relationship can be with mm-hmm. your business, clarifying your values, creating that vision and vision and mission we talked about, identifying your boundaries, where they've been kind of flimsy and where you need to reinforce them, knowing how your inner critic tends to pop up for you so that you can recognize it really quickly and you know do some of the work to get that back in place. So it's learning how you best want to feel in your business and the places where you tend to get off track Mm -hmm. so that you can put a plan in place for getting that back on track. So, you know, it's, again, it's one of those things people don't ask you for is how are you going to stay sane in your business? How are you not going to replicate your old trauma patterns in your business? Yeah. yeah. So all these pieces really we've been talking about go into the emotional sustainability plan. It's nice to have Mm -hmm. it kind of in one place so we can keep an eye on it. Yeah. Where do you, with your money mindset, where do you tend to have like the squirmies around money? You know, you know that about yourself. So you put a plan in place yeah. to support yourself. Yeah. Wonderful. Great. Mm-hmm. So any resources, podcasts, books besides yours, which we will link up to, uh, that you would recommend? Yeah. Um, well, obviously I'm a fan of Brene Brown. So, um, her, her latest book, uh, Atlas of the Heart is, it is a textbook to me. Ah. It is beautiful. It is rich. Like I, I think it's an amazing book. I recommend everyone go grab it. Um, and if you haven't read her other books, like, you know, um, 
Dare to Lead, Rising Strong, Daring Greatly. They're all fantastic books. I love that they're based on research. Um, it's not just her hypothesis about something. It's not just her feeling about something that's research-based. And it's just, I, I think they're text for life. Um, I also love her podcast, Daring, uh, Dare to Lead podcast and Unlocking Us. They're both fantastic podcasts with great guests. Um, I also like the book. Um, I, I love Esther Perel. She's a licensed marriage family therapist. I love her work. Um, so I always recommend people go check her out because, you know, we were talking about relationships yeah. and your business. She's a relationship expert expert. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I love the book, What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah. I think it's a lay person's approach. You know, I think it's a, an important book when it comes to talking about, you know, how you know, trauma is ill-defined mm-hmm. a lot of the times and we don't recognize that um, it's playing out in our lives, you know, and day to day. I really love their conversation about that. Um, and also, I actually, I'm going to send you the links for these so you can include them. But Healing Community is a trauma-informed design conversation with Rachel Dickus, who is a master's degree in social, has a master's degree in social work and um, studies trauma and design. It's a really fascinating conversation. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you mm-hmm. for those recommendations. And thank you yeah. so much. Definitely go check out Nicole's books and uh, more of her work. And thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. If you listen to the podcast and you would like to obtain continuing education credit hours from NBCC, please check out our website at therapeuticperspective.com. You will first need to click on the show that you just listened to, then the take this course button. From there, you will complete the payment process and attest that you listen to the show in its entirety. After the payment is processed, you will take a 10 question quiz followed by an evaluation so that we can better serve you. After these steps are complete, you will be given your certificate, which can be printed or stored on your therapeuticperspective.com account. If you need any help or support in the process, please email us at therapeuticperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. 